Welcome to the Leaders of Consulting podcast, an interview show with today's leading experts in their fields. You can find out more about today's episode and guests by visiting our website at leadersofconsulting.com. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, the agency helping consultants launch revenue-generating podcasts. You can find out more about us at spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips, and resources they picked up along the way for your listening benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Michael Roderick, who is the founder of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messaging memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. He's also the host of a podcast called Access to Anyone, uh, which helps you understand how to get to know anyone in business and in life using time-tested relationship building principles. Uh, Michael's methodology comes from his own experience of going from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. So welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to, to have you on. I, uh, I primarily, I, well, I, I first uh, got to know you through your podcast, uh, which I became an avid li- listener of when I moved to New York uh, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, so it's been a fantastic resource and, uh, you know, big influence on me. So thanks for that. I'm very honored to actually have you as a guest. Awesome. Thank you. So, Michael, I'd love to uh, maybe just start off uh, with some actual advice. Would you like to share a go-to strategy uh, that you think other consultants should probably know about uh, that maybe they haven't considered yet? Yeah, so this is something that, um, you know, I, um, I recently kind of just became more, more aware of myself. Um, and it is this aspect of using voice notes and voice messages as opposed to just sort of writing, um, you know, responses and sort of sending, you know, um, sending things to people. I um, just recently sort of had this experience where it was just like I decided to just do a voice note to somebody and, and respond to something or sort of break something, you know, break something down. And it was amazing how much faster they got back in touch with me. It was amazing how much like back and forth we had compared to email or even direct message. And I think that, you know, there's there's something to it. And it's it's very, very interesting because some people have talked about the aspect of, oh, well, you know, that's really disruptive for people. It's tricky for somebody to like, you know, listen to a voice message. There are challenges with it, but I don't know. I, I've just found it to work really, really well, um, you know, recently. So I, I figure not a lot of folks are probably talking about that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's definitely not the way that most people always communicate with you. I, I've, I've noticed this with, uh, with friends of mine who come from Latin America and Colombia in particular, they love sending voice messages. I personally, I'm not, I'm such a massive fan of receiving them, but it, it changes from person to person. I, I, I know that I like sending sort of loom screen share videos and some people think they're great, but I know, I know there was one instance where I had a client and, uh, I noticed they, because these videos have analytics on them. And I noticed I was sending these, you know, these detailed follow-ups to our calls, you know, mentioning resources or questions they asked and, you know, full of all this, what I thought was very helpful information, but I noticed they just weren't watching them at all. And uh, I asked them, I'm like, you know, uh, I noticed, um, you know, are you 
really sort of a fan of these sort of video things. And they're like, well, to be honest, like it's, it's just not for me. Uh, you know, just, they find it very difficult to concentrate watching videos. So yeah, like I think, uh, voice messages can be good, but it depends on, on the person who's receiving them. Doesn't it? Yeah. Now, and that's the thing that you're, that you're pointing out that I think is probably one of the most important, you know, aspects. And if, if we talk about something that is very, very useful for consultants specifically, you've got to pay attention to uh, how your medium fits your market. Right. And, and really like, you know, so in, in my world, in the world of thought leadership, it's very personality kind of driven. So a lot of the time, like that sort of like one-to-one interaction, whether it be voice message, whether it be video goes over pretty well with a lot of people in that market. But there are lots of markets where it doesn't necessarily go over well. It doesn't, you know, it it doesn't really work. So I think it's always important to pay attention to that and and figure out like which mediums are really working for your market and which ones, you know, just they're they're just not a fit for for that. Even if they're successful for other people, they may not be a good fit for your market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'll tell you though, actually, what one uh, one thing I've been experimenting with, which I seem to get quite a good reaction from most of the time. I'm sure some people see it and they're like, "Oh, that's just so silly." Uh, but it's it's uh, personalized GIF reactions. Um, you know, sort of uh-huh. GIF reactions like you know, face palm or uh, you know, there 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 are hundreds of the hundreds of these, but actually recording your own versions of them. Uh, <laughs> And sending them to people like gets such a great reaction a lot of the time. Um, I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's very like shock and awe kind of kind of oriented, right? Where it's just like you don't expect to see a gif of somebody you know, right? Like you always expect to see one of a celebrity or or you know some like classic you know meme or something like that, but you don't really expect to see one of somebody that you know. So I kind of like that 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 change up on the. Um, you know, on, on the model. I think that's very cool. Yeah. I think I probably still have to be careful just to not overdo it uh, too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like when you really like something um, and, and and it's fun for you, you can sometimes start to do it all the time. And then you, you realize, oh, wait a second. It's really fun for me, but it might not be fun for everybody else. It's <laughs> going through that experience, you know, kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everything in moderation, I guess. Yes, exactly. Is the answer. Um, So that's great. Um, So voice messages. uh, Great. Um, I'd love to also maybe dive a little bit into um, your your referable brand framework, because I think that's something that, um, you know, as consultants, obviously, we often survive on referrals. And that's our main go to often our primary go to uh, you know, sales and marketing strategy. So I'd, I'd love for you to kind of just describe a little bit about your referable brand structure sure. for us, if that's okay. Yeah. So, so basically there are three main principles to focus on when it comes to referability, and that is accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, and each of those, you could you could literally do an entire episode about, uh, about each, but I'm going to just kind of pull out what I feel are kind of the main points for, for the three, and then we can go whichever direction you want to go in. Um, so with accessibility, that's usually the first hurdle that you deal with. And it's mainly just, can people outside of your market understand it? Or are you in what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened? And a lot of the time when you're, when you're in a consulting role or you're doing some kind of work where it comes down to like a specialty, 
there's a lot of language that's attached to that specialty. So you can kind of end up talking in jargon all the time, you know, to people. So the first hurdle is always figuring out, okay, how do I take this concept that I understand, you know, and all this language that I use and use language that most people would be able to understand. And the way that I like to think about that is you want to have an anchor for, um, for people. You want to have something that they already recognize that they already understand and then you can introduce your your innovation, right? Then you can introduce how you think differently about it, or you know whatever the process is. But we need something to latch onto. So sometimes it's a metaphor. Sometimes it's a you know reference to something that people already recognize. Sometimes it's you know just really paying attention to sort of like what are the core needs and interests you know of people and boiling it down to the the simplest, you know, if you will, of, uh, of degrees, but that's usually your first hurdle is accessibility. Um, your second hurdle is influence and influence is sort of often presented as persuasion, right? We see a lot of stuff around like, well, how do I persuade people to do things, you know, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately when you think about what real influence is, it's when you do something without me asking you to do it. Like if you just do something for me and and help help me out, then that's real influence. Like I've I've caused you to have this desire um, to share my message, to do something with my with my material, right? And the way that I like to think about that is rather than thinking about how do I make this thing look cool, whatever it is that you're creating, whatever it is that you're developing, your business, your your ideas, etc. I like to think about it from the angle of how do you craft it so it makes somebody else look cool when they share it, right? So can you come up with something that is interesting enough that other people want to share it with their friends because it makes them look interesting? So it's always sort of thinking about you know that, that aspect. So if you want to have that level of influence, the way I like to think about it is come up with something that when you explain it, other people want to go out and explain it to their friends because it will make them look better. It'll make them look interesting. Um, and then the final hurdle that you deal with is memory. And you could be the best at what you do, but if somebody else has an easier way to remember them, they're going to win. And it's just a fact of nature. Like if we can remember something, we share it. If we can't remember something, we won't. Um, and the way that I like to think about memory is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less, uh, which is language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So first, do you have your own language? Like, are you using your own words for things or your own sort of specific combination of words? Because that always sticks in people's memory. We always remember new different words or ways that people phrase something, right? Are you tapping into people's emotions? Because emotion solidifies memory. And anytime you're in a heightened emotional state, your brain kind of becomes like a sponge and you remember a lot of material. Um, is it simple? Because for years, academics has always rewarded complexity. We were always rewarded for using the biggest words and writing the biggest papers, but the memory will reward simplicity. So if something isn't simple enough, if it isn't easy for us to carry in our memory, we probably won't carry it. And then finally, does it have a structure attached to it? Is there a model? Is there a way that it sort of operates so that we can carry it with us? That's 
you know, the reason why jokes have been around as long as they have, because jokes have always had the same structure of the setup and the punchline. Like we never, we're never going to forget a joke because it's got a setup and it's got a punchline. It's very, very straightforward in in terms of structure. So when you start looking at all those, those lenses of accessibility, influence, and memory, what you start to notice for yourself is usually that there is an area where that's not working, right? And that's what's affecting your level of referability. So for some people, they're starting at kind of ground zero where people just don't understand what they do, especially consultants. People just don't understand what they do, right? They're like, I have no idea what you do, right? But then they might get over that hurdle and they've got people who understand what they do, but they don't have anything that they share or that they talk about that somebody else wants to go and share because it makes them look better, right? So they don't have that influence aspect, right? They don't have that element of being able to you know, have other people talk about it, et cetera. And then even if you've got those two things, a lot of the time what happens is it hasn't been built in like a memorable uh, way. Yeah. And when you talk about influence as well, it makes me think of uh, the digital marketing term. I think it's earned media where you, you know, you have paid organic and uh, no, paid owned and earned, right? So paid is where you're buying Google ads and Facebook ads. Uh, owned is where you own your own social media channels and earned is where you've appeared in a newspaper or somewhere else. Someone else is mentioning you. And so it, it reminds me of that, but it, it's obviously different because it's not, you're not getting mentioned in a newspaper or something like that. It's not, it's not PR. Um, it's actually something we probably even think less about, which is playing to people's like human psychology, uh, everyone's innate desire to look good or egos and so on. Yep. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah. It's quite a, an underlooked thing. Yeah. And that also ties to the aspect of PR, right. And a lot of these other, a lot of these other, things because what does the person who's writing an article for their magazine want? They want to have something that is different from everything else, you know, that that's out there. They want to have something interesting to share with others. So if you've come up with that nugget, right? Like if you've come up with that thing, that's going to be kind of fascinating for their audience, right? Or this thing that's just so interesting to share they're going to want to interview you. They're going to want to cover you. They're going to want to talk to you about your process, about the work, you know, about the work that you do because you've crafted it in such a way that they're curious as to how is it that they want to share it, right? Like they're like, how did you make me, you know, want to, you know, want to interview you or, or, or talk to you? Like, how did you do that? And, and I think that's at the heart of things is that we're always innately curious about how something happens, right? Like we want to kind of look under the hood of whatever sort of moment of success that, that we see. So the second somebody's able to say like, here is a process or here's a way to think about this, then we gravitate towards those people, right? We gravitate towards those people who give us a way to frame our thinking. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, lends itself to a lot of those types of PR opportunities and, and interviews and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, this framework itself also makes me think, so think of, uh, a couple of, one or two conversations I've had in the past where I've been speaking to people, at, uh, you know, some sort of networking event or, or 
or, you know, I've been part of a group, you know, an accountability group. We met up for a whole bunch of weeks. So we know we have a pretty good idea of each other's businesses. But every now and then in conversation, something will come up and they'll say, oh, I know another, you know, podcast production agency. And and they do, you know, I read this story about them and they do this. I'm like, that's exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Why isn't this clear yep. to you? And it's obvious that I, I, you know, I'm probably missing, you know, part of a framework like this where I just, I just haven't really been able to explain things in a way that's simple or memorable enough for people to fully grasp and understand. So my, my question from that is, um, yeah. you know, what, what can we try to do to make sure that our message is actually sinking in or, or, or being understood? Are there any kind of like checkpoints or, or good things? Yeah. Do? Because I also noticed that I, like this morning I was talking to someone and I was, and they were, they were genuinely interested in a framework I was describing, but I could tell there were just slight yeah. parts that I was like, Oh, hold on a sec. Wait, I'm not sure if they actually grasp this thing. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm what for one thing, I'm probably, probably using jargon that people throw around in the world of podcasting or, um, you know, or, um, yeah, you know, just basically describing things that, uh, you know, may, may, may just make seem, you know, they're, they're basically implicitly implicit knowledge that I, I assume that everybody understands, but they don't. So what, what do you have any suggestions what you can do around? uh, Yeah. I think that probably one of the best things that you can do uh, is something that, that I used to do in education. Um, it was uh, referred to as the check for understanding. So basically, like when you're teaching a bunch of students and you're sharing something, you stop in the middle of whatever you're saying and, and you basically say, uh, Jonathan, what was I just saying in your own words, right? And then you come and you tell me what you heard in your own words. And then I know whether or not you were listening, right? Like I know whether or not you were sort of paying attention and sort of what, you know, what it is. But the thing is like, we can use that exact same thing when we're talking to people about services and offers where you can say, you know, especially if you've got people in your life who are willing to basically, you know, be mirrors for you and give you the feedback, right? You say to them, what would you say in your own words I do? Like, what is it, you know, and then listen to what they say, because a lot of the time they're going to distill it down and they're going to talk about like, oh, this is the issue sort of that I'm, you know, that I'm dealing with. You know, the other thing that I find often happens is that we don't, we spend a lot of time thinking about the target market and we don't spend nearly enough time thinking about a target problem. So in a target market, we're saying like, okay, how do I sort of niche this down and figure out like, okay, these are the people that I'm going to work with or, or serve, right? But we don't necessarily sit down and say, okay, what is a target problem? Like what is an issue that that market comes up with that is hyper-specific, that when somebody hears it, they're like, oh my God, that's me. That's totally sort of what I, you know, what I deal with. So I like to have conversations with people about what is that issue? Like, what is that challenge? Right. Um, so in my world, a target problem is the aspect of most of the people who are very, very good at doing the work that they do put off or deprioritize the packaging of their own intellectual property. 
they're almost always putting that off as this thing like, yeah, I'll work on my thought leadership at another time because I'm serving my clients right now. And when I say that, either the person hearing it is like, yep, I'm always putting this stuff off and I really need to get it done. Right. Or they're saying, no, I don't put it off. Like that's not, you know, that's not me. And it just like immediately hits. And they either say like, I need to work on that. Or they might say, I know somebody who needs to work on that. I know somebody who needs to, you know, get that thing done because it's a hyper specific problem. You know, it's not just, Hey, like think about It's not just like, Oh, they have a problem with their branding. No, they don't have a problem with their branding. They, they know what they're doing. They're very, very good at it, but they've just never sat down and really taken the time to package it. Right. And put these things in place. Yeah. I, I can also see that, you know, by leading people, maybe sort of giving people cues, uh, and helping them come to this, you know, the same conclusions that you've already come to, but allowing them to kind of describe it in their own words and asking questions, kind of probing yep. and saying, okay, well, what about this? Or, you know, so on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the other big aspect is that in order to be a thought leader, right, you have to have leading thoughts. And the only way that you're going to sort of move into that leading thoughts category is if you challenge the dominant narrative. So if everybody's saying the same thing, there's got to be something that you're challenging. There's got to be something that you're saying, like, I think about this differently, right? So when you're talking to people and you're hearing all of their assumptions about your industry, about the work that you do, et cetera, there's almost always something that they say that they think works that you're just like, nope, I actually have been through it. I know this experience. I know this doesn't work. And a lot of the time, that's how people sort of latch on, right? Like that's how people sort of connect with us is that they see that contrast between what everybody else in the market is saying and what we're saying. And then they start to say, well, I need to follow you because you're actually speaking to this issue as opposed to saying, oh, no, it's, it's completely solved by, you know, this, you know, this thing or that thing. Yeah. It's basically uh, like a pattern interrupter in a sense. Yeah. And it makes people kind of sit up and go, oh, you know, or stop, stop whatever there is they're scrolling through. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and I'd, I'd love to um, kind of hear a bit about the influences on your work. Um, sure. Uh, are there any particular, is it, are there any particular people uh, that come to mind or any particular resources that really you came, you know, that changed your trajectory at any particular point that you can point to? Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's tons, right. Sort of across, you know, uh, across the board. And I, I always mention, um, Seth Godin's book linchpin as like the reason I even left teaching. Right. Um, because I was reading that book and he talks about this aspect of how schools were built to make us better factory workers, you know, sit in rows, listen, do the work, you know, et cetera. And I remember reading that book and basically being like, oh man, I'm a factory worker and I don't want to be a factory worker. And that was the thing that kind of got me out of the, you know, um, out of that mode and, you know, got me started in thinking about, you know, entrepreneurship. So I always, I always point towards, you know, Seth Godin's work as, as something that, um, 
will always expand your mind, right? Like we'll always get you sort of thinking, um, you know, thinking differently. Um, but the other uh, person who has always been very influential and, and even more influential in the past, in the past couple of years uh, has been Ben Settle. Uh, and Ben Settle is very big on daily writing, right? Uh, he's, he's very big on daily emails and, and focusing on, you know, uh, email copywriting and like, you know, that, you know, that side of things. And I remember him seeing him speak uh, a number of years back and, you know, realizing, oh, this daily writing thing would be interesting. So I subscribe to, he has a paid print newsletter that you get in the mail, like a physical newsletter. Um, and he sells very, very high, um, and, uh, books. Basically it's like, you can spend, there are books that Ben Settle has on sale. You can, you will spend a thousand dollars on um, if you if you choose, um, and you know it comes down to if you apply the information in there, you'll make a lot more than that, right? Because he's breaking down all of these things that you can do to build your client base, to build your you know build your own brand, build, you know build your own stuff, um, and he is a great example of. Uh, and he'll even sort of share it of this like repel repellent marketing as opposed to as opposed to attraction marketing. Like his his attitude is is like I actually don't want ninety percent of you. Like I only really want like ten percent of you as clients because I you know and he doesn't even take one on one clients right. Like he's you know he just sells his products and services and things like that. And you know people like that who uh, really take the time to sort of challenge ideas and push new ideas, I think are vital. Like, I, I really think that, you know, whenever there's a leader in your industry, there's almost always an anti-leader somewhere. You know, there's almost always somebody who's sort of pushing against that. Um, and I think it's worth it to explore what does the anti-leader have to say as well, because it may not what the other, you know, the person that, you know, at the, at the head of your industry um, may not be the person you want to listen to. It may not be the right fit for you. It may not be the direction uh, that, that you want to go in. So uh, Ben's stuff is, as always, I, I've bought a lot of his books. I've subscribed, you know, subscribed to his stuff. I've done coaching things like I, I really like his stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think about the sort of counter point of view often with news. Well, one of my favorite, pu favorite publications is one called The Week. Have you heard of The Week? Um, um, it's, no. ba it's basically like a magazine that compiles different viewpoints. So it basically goes, oh, here are all the things that happened during the week. Um, you know, The Observer said this and, and NPR said that and uh, Fox News said this, and it, but it just kind of gives voice to all these different opinions. So you can say, take the same piece of news, but you've got, you know, 10 different viewpoints, uh, from varying different levels of the, you know, sides of the spectrum. Whereas usually a lot of the time you just hear, hear one. But I never thought about necessarily like applying that to, to thought leadership as well, but there's no reason why it can, yeah. can't be done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm curious, like, so you mentioned Ben Settle, actually, that's a, that's a, a name I haven't heard before. So that's, that's a new one for me. But, um, but I was interested that you mentioned he, uh, so he had this practice of daily writing and obviously you, you have a daily 
uh, newsletter yourself. And I'm, I'm very curious, yeah. like, where did the idea for this daily newsletter came from? What, like, why? Why did you decide to do this to yourself? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really came from uh, when I subscribed to when I subscribed to Ben's newsletter. He um, sent a book that basically was sort of like, "Here's the you know, here are the things to think about if you're going to write if you if you're going to write on a regular basis, right? Like if you're going to write really solid emails." And in the book, he gave this challenge of you know, write it for 30 days, and it wasn't like it wasn't like one of these online, like you're going to get a bunch of people together and we're going to do a challenge. Like it wasn't that it was literally just like in the book. He was like, Hey, up to you. If you want to do this, I don't really care if you do. Um, but you know, I'm going to challenge you to write for 30 days and, you know, see what happens kind of thing. So what I did was I posted, um, on Facebook that basically I was like, I'm going to start a daily email if any of you are interested, just like, let me know. And I think I put a sign up link for it. And I had probably like 75 of my friends say that they were interested in hearing from me. Um, so I started it and then I put it in my email signature and I started just like, and that was in 2017. And I have been writing my daily email since that time. Like I have not stopped. Um, and I just loved the experience. Like, I just like, you know, some people are, you know, some people are much more like they want to write like a, a long, you know, involved kind of piece and they want to do it every couple of months. You know, some people, they want to write a couple times a week. I love writing daily. It was just like, it was a perfect fit for me in regards to like how I wanted to sort of operate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it sounds like a 30 day challenge turned into how many days is it? Do you have, uh, I can't you even imagine count? at this no. point, <laughs> it's been multiple, you know, it's been multiple years. Uh, I don't, I, I don't send the email. I don't send email on Saturdays and Sundays cause I spend that with family. Um, but I'm probably up to like 1200 emails that I've written wow. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about that, that these 30 day challenges, they, you know, they may seem to be everywhere, but actually they're, they're actually quite an old thing. I, you made me think of uh, Gary Halbert, a famous copywriter. He had a 30 day copywriting challenge, which must be like decades, like half a century yep. old or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, there are these things and they become they get overhyped, right? Like, you know, um, so a bunch of people start doing them and it stops feeling like it's going to be like, it's going to be effective, but it's not that the idea is not effective. It's the execution that's not effective. Right. So it's like, I'm not going to go online and tell everybody I'm doing a 30 day challenge to become more referable and join my, you know, free, group on the book of faces and let's all, you know, like, I'm not going to be that guy, right? Like, that's just not going to be a fit for me, but Hey, somebody who like loves to be like the, the, you know, Insta look at me influencer type who like wants to take pictures of themselves and their food. Like they would love that stuff, right? Like they're totally happy to just like do their 30 day challenge and have as many people sort of come to them as possible. So I think like, you know, the, the thing is you got to look at, and I, I think this falls for pretty much anybody in a consulting world. Like 
you've got to look at what makes the most sense for you and choose the things that work for you and accept the fact, and this is probably the most important thing, accept the fact that no one thing is actually the answer. No one thing. Like in marketing, everybody wants to sell you on the idea that one thing is the answer because that's how their business grows, you know, in, in a lot of cases. But the fact of the matter is, there is no one answer. You've got to figure out what works for you. And in many, many cases, you will need to put together a combination of things before you find the thing that you know hits uh, and and works in the way that you 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 want it to work. Yeah, and and just going back to your your content creation process, I'm curious. Yeah. So this this is uh, something that you practice. Is it something you 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 carve out a space of time and you and you execute then, or is it something is something where you you batch create, you know, your, your content curious, which, which approach do you, do you adhere to? Yeah. So I, um, very rarely batch. Um, like if I know that I'm going to go on a trip, if I know that I've got, you know, um, that, that there's going to be sort of a gap in time, sometimes I will batch and I'll write like five or six, you know, emails at a time. But most of the time, what I do is I write at the end of my day. Um, and my, my routine is very simple. I, um, at the end of the day, I've got two little girls. Uh, at the end of the day, we put them down. My wife and I watch a little something. My wife goes to sleep. There's a pile of dishes. I do the dishes. I get the station clean. In that time that I'm doing the dishes, most of the time I'm coming up with ideas for what I want to write or what I want to talk about, and then I just sit down, um, you know, and I and and I write whatever's on my mind. And uh, I also, throughout the day, this is an exercise I do. I I call it finding color. So throughout the day, most of the things I'm going to do are in black and white, right? Like they're just like everyday activities, et cetera. But every once in a while, something will happen and it's in color. It's kind of an interesting kind of quirky part of the day. So if anything happens that's in color, what I'll do is I'll jot it down in, uh, I put it in Evernote um, and I'll just jot it down really quickly in Evernote. And then uh, throughout the day, I'll look at some of these things. I'll be like, oh, I wonder if I could write an email about that. That might be really interesting. Or sometimes I'll be talking to clients or I'll be talking to friends and I'll be describing something or telling a story and they're like, that's an email. And I'll be like, hey, you know what? You're right. And I'll sort of jot that down uh, and and sort of put it in. But I really love that just element of like, you know, end of the day, sitting down and and crafting, you know, whatever's sort of banging around in my head uh, as opposed to just sitting and kind of batching it all out. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, in theory, like I know batching probably makes a lot of sense, but I think like you, when I've tried to do, you know, consistent content creation, I've just found that carving out that same, you know, same time of the day and also having a certain time constraint as well, where it's like, I have to get this done within a certain amount of time also really helps as well. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that that's the thing. It's like, you know, the, the barrier is often sort of our you know, thoughts about how it needs to be, you know, so my biggest rule is that I give myself permission to suck. Like I, I expect there's absolutely no way that I can be consistent and brilliant. 
So I'll be consistent. And some of the things are going to be great. Some of the things people are really going to take to some of the things they're not going to take to at all. Some of the things are not going to, you know, are, are not going to work. They're not going to get, you know, any kind of response. And some of the things that I think like, man, I just crap that out. What the heck was that? You know, end up becoming like the biggest thing in the world. Right. And everybody gets excited about them. It's et cetera. So it's like, you know, nobody knows anything, you know, you put out content, you never know sort of what's going to hit with your audience or not. But I think that's the value of doing something daily is that every day you get to see what your market has to say and it helps you understand your market. Like I understand my market so well by the responses that I get to these emails where it's like, oh yeah, yep. People really resonate with this issue or people are having this challenge or that challenge. And now I know, okay, I can sell, you know, something that, you know, solves this problem and brings up, you know, brings up this issue because I'm hearing about it from everybody else. Right. So it's a, it's a really, really powerful tool um, for that sort of market research uh, side of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. love that. Fantastic. So we've covered quite a bit of ground so far, um, you know, in the short yeah. space of time. Uh, we've, so to summarize, we've gone over the, your referable brand kind of framework, that aim, uh, accessibility, influence memory. Um, I liked how you brought up the, not just thinking about the, your target market, but also your target problem. Um, we've heard about um, your influences, Ben Settle, Seth Godin, uh, your daily newspaper, uh, newspaper newsletter, <laughs> and your content creation process. Um, is that a fair summary? Is there anything that you'd like to kind of include that maybe we we didn't we we only briefly touched on that you'd like to expand on there? Or, um, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's like that really kind of stands um, that that fits into that category of all of that other. Um, of all of that other stuff. No, I think, I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a good place. Like that's a good amount of stuff to, to, to cover within this, um, you know, within this, I think if we, if we crack open another one, we're probably going to go down another rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can always do a part two, part three. Yeah. The, uh, we can do a exactly. whole saga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point in the future. <laughs> um, but as we, as we sort of wrap up, would you like to let people know uh, where they can find out more? I think you've got a, a good sort of way of helping people understand more about uh, where they are in terms of, you know, building a referable brand. You've got a good resource there. I'd love for yes. you to share that one. Yeah, sure. Um, so if you just go to my referability um, basically it is a series of questions that will ask you uh, about your level of referability. So you can see kind of where you score on the accessibility, influence, and memory side, and you'll get a score at the end of it. That'll kind of break it down and sort of show it for you. Um, and for a lot of people, that just like, you know, gives a little bit more perspective, you know, in, the, it, you know, in, this, in this whole side of things. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm all over the place. So, you know, uh, the website's just smallbondageprizes.com. I'm on social media. Um, so you can always feel free to reach out to me and, you know, chat about pretty much anything. I'm, you know, I'm kind of an open book when it comes to, you know, when it comes to this stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely get a lot more, um, 
a lot more conversations and traction on LinkedIn. I, I have more people who reach out to me through there and sort of, yeah, I, I check them all. So like I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on the book of faces, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm not on, um, I'm not on Instagram uh, or TikTok or any of that kind of stuff. I, I just, I don't have the time uh, to add like additional social media platforms, um, you know, to my, to my list, but uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, book of faces, all, all accurate areas. If you want to, if you want to come and say hi to me um, on the book of faces, I'm, I'm Mike Roderick as opposed to Michael uh, because my Michael Roderick account got hacked. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't ever, don't look for that one because you'll 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 meet a whole different character. Um, you know. <laughs> well, Michael, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. As always, we'd like to bring you guests that are at the forefront of the independent and boutique consulting industry. And we're also looking for recommendations. So if you know someone that you believe would be a good fit as a guest, please do send them my way, which you can do by simply emailing me at jbs at leadersofconsulting.com.